I want to begin with my introduction again. Bear with the repetition. Um, we take what we see and hear, what I see, what I hear, what I read, and we make conclusions. I'd like to call them stories for now. I tell myself a story. Now, these are not facts. These are facts, and they might even be missing other facts. But we tell ourselves a story. Stories create emotions, and emotions lead to actions. Therefore, if the emotion and the action needs to change, we should re-examine our stories. My plea to you is that you be open to new facts, new things that you may not have considered when you told yourself some stories. I'm going to throw some facts on the board that my parents and your grandparents did not factor into their stories. I could not have this conversation with my dad, bless his heart. He would push back and resist everything I was trying to say because he had told him, he, he held firm to some stories based on some facts that were not true. And when new evidence came out that changed the facts, he didn't change his stories. So I am asking all of this generation to be open to some new facts. And when I add, when, if I can add anything new to this list, I would invite you to change the story you tell yourself, which I believe will change the emotions and the actions. So I'm going to use this board to write what I believe are some new facts that you may not have filtered into this story about the church withholding the priesthood to blacks for many years. Many people hear that fact alone, that the church withheld the priesthood from black male members and jump quickly to some conclusions and some stories without looking at some of the other facts. So allow me to use this board to write some of the facts that people are not including in their stories. Some that didn't really come to our attention until 2013. 2013 changed this story. Anyone know why? Do you know what the church did in 2013? It published a new edition of the scriptures with a paragraph that was not in the scriptures before. And that paragraph threw two truths out there that for me changed the story and forced me to come to new conclusions. And these are conclusions that some of our ancestors would not come to because they held to previously believed stories. So I hope you're open tonight because I think we're gonna lay some truths down that you hadn't considered. So let me take you back and we're gonna do a little US history. Now, first of all, I'm gonna begin with a personal conclusion. Imagine my sleeves are rolled up, but I will, I will boldly say this. You can quote me on this one. 
I believe that American slavery was instituted by Lucifer to destroy the country that would give birth to the restoration. I believe Satan wanted to take out the restoration, knew that it was dependent upon a free country, and wanted to take out that free country and found a way to destroy that country. I personally believe that American slavery was instituted by Lucifer to destroy the country in which the restoration was born. It almost did, didn't it? Now, thanks, I think, to God, it didn't. But we need to talk about the history of the United States a little bit. There came a point where slavery became a major issue, right? They would only allow states into the union by twos. Otherwise, it would tip the scales of power. They wouldn't allow a slave state to come in without a balancing non-slave state. Because if too many non-slave states were joined to the union, what would Congress do? Abolish slavery. And the slave states didn't want that. But the same thing was true. If the slave states had a dominance in Congress, what would they do? They would protect slavery and the free slates did not want that. So there was a lot of tension and they decided as a compromise to bring in one slave state and one non-slave state in equal pairs so that it didn't throw the balance of power out in Congress. And then there was an anomaly. That anomaly is our first fact. That anomaly is Missouri. Anyone know how Missouri came into the Union? The state, the United States was split and it was part of that split, but the state wasn't split in half. What was the problem with Missouri? The United States had drawn a line throughout it saying above the line free, below the line slave permissible. And Missouri was above the line. Missouri was an anomaly. Missouri was above the line where slavery was supposed to not be allowed. And so what they did is they brought in Maine. They brought Maine in as a non-slave state. And the compromise was that they would allow Missouri, which was above the line, to be a that is fact number one. Missouri was a slave state with a condition on it. And everyone in Missouri knew that they were already an odd man out because they didn't fit their neighbors. Did, was, Missouri, was Missouri surrounded by states that supported them on that issue? No. And Missouri knew they were an anomaly. They were brought in as a slave state when Maine was brought in as a non-slave state. So Missouri knew their status was odd. And then what happened? A whole bunch of Mormons started to move to Missouri. Now, in general, were Mormons slave supporters or non-slave supporters? And adamantly, can anyone name 
I'm pretty sure, I don't have, I, I don't know that I can say this definitively, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I can. Can anyone name the first U.S. presidential candidate who was completely opposed to slavery and his presidential platform proposed abolishing slavery? It was not Abraham Lincoln. It was Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith's presidential platform was to abolish slavery. Not even Lincoln did that. Lincoln decided later. Initially, he was, no, let's not disrupt the union. But Joseph Smith said, we will abolish slavery. This kind, if I'm elected president, we will abolish slavery. So we have a group of people who are very opposed to slavery moving into where? A slave state. That, my friends, is fact number one that no one talks about. No one seems to talk about the main reason we got kicked out of Missouri. We thought it was religious. We tell the story that we were kicked out of Missouri because we were refined religious people and they were frontiersmen who didn't like our refinedness. And so they kicked us out for religious reasons. That is only partially true. The main reason we were hated in Missouri is because why? We were anti-slavery in a slave state with a condition on it. And so as Mormons move out here, as more and more Mormons move out to Missouri, what are the Missourians going to do? They're going to get very, very, very nervous. We were slaughtered over the issue of slavery in Missouri. Women were raped and children were killed over the issue of slavery in Missouri. Let that be number one. So we were kicked out. Then where do we go? Illinois. Any problems? Illinois. F slave state or non-slave state? Free or, non free or slave? I don't know what's the designation. Can I say free and non-free? Free and slave? Could I say, is that's not offensive to anyone if I say free state and slave state? Okay. Illinois. Free or slave state? free. So are we going to have a problem in Illinois? Is, is slavery going to be an issue? No. In fact, guess what happened in Illinois? Fact number two that no one talks about. Can anyone tell me something that happened in Illinois that's part of this story that is extremely significant? Let's go to that paragraph that was added in 2013. Find official declaration two. I'm going to pull it up so that we can see it all together. Anyone have old scriptures? If you have an old doctrine and covenants, there is no paragraph before. If you have electronic scriptures or if you have um, newer printed scriptures, there is now a paragraph that was missing before. All right. Doctrine and covenants. Oh, official declaration two. All right. In your old scriptures, pre-2013, it starts to whom it may concern. Post-2013, we now have this sentence. We're going to use this several times, so keep this in front of you. But I want to add truth number two. Ready? Truth number two comes from this paragraph. The Book of Mormon teaches that all are alike unto God, including black and white, bond and free, male and female. 
Throughout the history of the church, people of every race and ethnicity in many countries have been baptized and lived faithful, lived as faithful members of the church. Ready? Here we go. During Joseph Smith's lifetime, a few black male members of the church were ordained to the, to the priesthood. Joseph Smith ordained black men to the priesthood. Let me say that a few times. Joseph Smith ordained black men to the priesthood. Was God opposed to black men having the priesthood if Joseph Smith ordained black men to the priesthood? Do you in general believe Joseph Smith was in tune with God's will or not? Truth number two, Joseph ordained black men to the priesthood. No, no problem with it. Neither did Brigham Young at the time. He was loved those two men. Now, were those two black men honorable in every way? Were they wonderful? Every way. They served faithfully in the church. And Joseph ordained them to the priesthood. Okay, next in our story, we went from Missouri to Illinois. Joseph is martyred. And what does the Lord do? This is a brilliant analogy. Just like we talked about Zion in the future, these two are going to go at it. These, are going to, these two are going to destroy each other. And so the Lord moves Zion where? The Lord moves the church way out west. The Lord foresaw the conflict and said, get out west. Did we do that? There's, it's fun to go back through the scriptures and point out how many times the Lord said, hey, everyone get out west. In consequence of what's coming, get out west. He saw it coming and said, everyone go out west. So the church goes out west to get away from that, right? We're not a part of that. We're not in that fight. That is not our fight. We're out here. Now, truth number three, and this has been taken out. I, used, I, I can't find my picture, but years ago, <clears throat> Eagle Monument, you know where the reflecting pond is, right? Right outside the temple in Salt Lake is Eagle Monument. Years ago, there was a little plaque there with the names of everyone that arrived in Salt Lake in the very first Pioneer Company. I have two ancestors in that company. All are William Clayton is my great-great-great-grandfather. He came with Brigham Young. And there's a plaque with everyone's name on it. The very first pioneer company to arrive in the Salt Lake Valley. And the last three names on that plaque are slaves. Three slaves arrived in Salt Lake City in the very first pioneer company. Did you know that? From the moment we got here, there was slavery here. Three. First, Pioneer Company. 
brought three slaves. Now, what do we do? What do we do? Now, I'm going to start to roll up my sleeve because I'm going to start to give you my conclusion as we start to tell this story. But if Brigham Young does nothing, what does that basically make our territory? The presence of slaves and Brigham Young does nothing, what does he basically de de declare this territory is? A, a, a pro-slavery territory. We have slaves here. From the very first pioneer company, we have slaves here. And if he does nothing, if he says nothing, if he takes no stand at all, what message do they hear? What message is going to get back there? This is a slave territory. And instantly, who becomes our enemies? Who becomes our enemies? The entire North becomes our enemy. But if Brigham Young makes a stand and says, no, we are anti-slavery and they, those three slaves are freed, you step foot on our territory, you are a free man. This is a free place. Who becomes our enemies? The entire South. And we become enemies to the entire South. Do you see the dilemma he's in? We came out here to get away from that and we brought it with us. The first pioneer company had three slaves in it. And more are coming. Will there be slave owners in the South who go to, to, go to Utah? Are they going to bring their slaves? What do we do? Now, fact that I think you all know is the rest of this. But then we're going to do one you don't know. Here's what you do know. After Joseph Smith ordained black members to the priesthood, early in its history, 1856, church leaders stopped conferring the priesthood on black males of African descent. Now, you know that. I'm not going to add that one because you know Brigham Young took a stand and said black males of African descent are not allowed to hold the priesthood. You know that. Here's what you don't know. Next sentence. Anyone want to read it? Who wants to read it? Caitlin, read it. Church records offer no clear insights into the origins of this practice. One more time. Church records offer no insights into the origins of this practice. One more time. Church records offer no insights into the origin of this practice. Now that's a fact. I'm going to write that, but I'm going to tell you my conclusion. No church records as to why. Here's my conclusion. It was not a revelation. Does this church keep records of revelations? How serious does this church take revelations that are received? 
Is there any revelations received by Brigham Young in the Doctrine and Covenants? Yes. No records as to why the ban. No records. My conclusion, not a revelation. It was not God saying you can't, they can't, can't hold the priesthood. It was not a revelation. Now, I can't definitively say that because why? There's no records that prove that either. The absence of records make this a mystery. But what I do know is that this church takes very seriously when a revelation comes. There is a Doctrine and Covenants section that includes a revelation to Brigham Young. So had it been a revelation, I think we would have taken it very seriously and we would have documented it. The absence of church records suggests to me that Brigham did not receive. It was not thus saith the Lord. Therefore, throw out Abraham chapter one that says blacks are banned from having the priesthood. Throw out the conclusion that this is a divine thing, that God withheld the priesthood to the blacks. People came up with all sorts of funny stories like, well, pre-mortal life, they weren't valiant. They were barred the priesthood because they weren't valiant in pre-mortal life. Well, that violates one of our articles of faith, doesn't it? We believe that, Adam, that men will be punished for their own sins and not for the sins of Adam. Is there any reason why someone would be denied a blessing because Cain killed Abel? No. Or premortal life? Throw those out. Throw those out. If you've used those to make conclusions, you need to throw those out. Because there is no evidence that there was a divine revelation withholding the priesthood from blacks. Those are the facts. Now, let me give you my conclusion. Again, my conclusion. Here's what I believe happened. I can't even fathom the position Brigham Young is in. I would not want to trade him for anything. If Brigham Young says we are anti-slavery, he alienates half the United States. If Brigham Young says we are pro, we're not going to do anything and you can have slaves here, he alienates half the United States. How can he possibly win? How can he not bring that fight out here and threaten our safety? There's slaves here. He has to address it. Whether he does it consciously or it's his gut, I don't know, but he has to address it. Because there are slaves in Utah and half this country will hate us no matter which side we're on. And we are too young and too vulnerable to have to alienate half the country. We have to be friends to both. We came out here to be neutral so that none of them would hate us. So here's what I believe happened. And I am going to throw one more up. Here's what I think happened. I think Brigham Young made a compromise to save the church. I think his compromise was, if you bring your slaves to Utah, 
we will baptize them. We will not deny them membership in the church. They will be in your ward. Has the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints ever segregated its congregation? Is that true of most churches at the time? That is not true. What did most churches at the time do? They had black churches and white churches. Did the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints ever segregate? Did we ever have black wards and white wards? Never, not once. Which meant if I own slaves and they get baptized, in which ward will they be? In my ward. I think Brigham Young took a stand and said, we will not deny them membership. And so I'm going to add that as number five. No black was ever, sorry, it's too low. It's kind of, my handwriting gets messier the lower it goes, so forgive me. No black was ever denied membership because they were black. Maybe that was a worthiness issue, but not because of the color of skin. We have never segregated our congregations. I have never heard that brought up in this conversation. You name a church that didn't segregate their congregations, and the only one I know of that was at least large enough to say it had a significant population, the only church I know of that never segregated its congregation was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have slaves and you bring them to Utah, they will be in your ward. But here's my total opinion. I think in, and I don't know if he did this on purpose. I don't know if it was in his head, but I think it was in his gut. They won't be your bishop. I think that was his compromise. They won't be your bishop. Now, would some people have just absolutely not tolerated a black bishop? Yes. There were people who would not have tolerated a black bishop. Were there black members of the church who were, could very well have been bishops and general authorities? Now, what happens to a very young, vulnerable church who has a black general authority? And so I believe, my gut tells me that Brigham Young made a compromise to save the church. And it was on him, and he was the prophet, and he had every right to do this. We will not deny them baptism. They will be members of the church, and anyone who wants to be baptized can be baptized. But I think the ban came about to say they won't be your bishop, and there won't be general authorities. Now, just total, total hypothetical. I served my mission in Mexico. I know what happens in poor countries. I was in a zone that baptized 260 every month, 260 people every single month. Poor people flocked to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if there had been a black general authority, a black member of the 70? after the emancipation. I wonder if they all flock to Utah. 
And how would that change the story of our growing up years? I, my personal conclusion is that what Brigham Young did saved the church in a very, very vulnerable circumstance. No one could say we were their enemy, could they? Can the North claim we're their enemy? No, we're baptizing them. They're welcome. They come, we're going to preach to them. And we're going to see them as equals. And we're going to preach the gospel to them. Could the South see us as their enemy? I don't think so. I think the South could say, okay, I could go live in Utah. They're not my enemy. In other words, I think that what Brigham Young did said what? Leave us alone. Don't bring your fight out here. And because of that, we were allowed to build a foundation. We were allowed to grow up and get strong enough to stand on our own. And that, I believe, saved the church. We survived that mess by being no one's enemy. Now, were we anyone's friend? No, <laughs> we were no one's friend. But were we anyone, any, anyone's enemy? So if you ask me, Brigham Young was brilliant. Now, did he even know what he was doing? I don't know. I've read what he wrote. I read what he said. Did he even know what he was doing? I don't know. But it seems to me his gut did the right thing and said, we're going to put a ban in place. And I think the ban was to say, we're nobody's enemy. Leave us alone. And they did. They left us. They did not bring that fight out here. And they left us alone. And we grew up. Now, did Brigham Young believe the ban would last forever? No, he didn't. That's pretty clear in all of his writings. Did anyone of the prophets believe? No. So what happens? Brigham dies. After a long time, anyone know how long Brigham Young was president of the church? Let me show it to you. And now you tell me, when you look at this graph, oh, dang it. When you look at this graph, how long was Brigham Young? <laughs> look at Brianna. What are you doing? Tell me what you're seeing. I had no idea what. I had no idea that Brigham Young led this church for such a long period of time. How old was Brigham? In his 30s? Let's see, Brigham was born in 1801, became prophet basically at Joseph's death, but they were ordained, he was ordained three years later. So he was what, 46? And he dies when he's 77. Now, 
Tell me what's going to happen to the policies of Brigham. What's going to happen to the policies that Brigham established when John Taylor becomes the president? Do you see what do you see where I'm going with this? What's going to happen to the policies of Brigham Young when Wilford Woodruff or Lorenzo Snow or Joseph S. Smith? So the, by the time we get down to these prophets, what's pretty set in stone? What's become kind of the way things are and no one really knows why? Now tell me about traditions in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right? And so do you see what happened year after year after year, prophet after prophet after prophet? So then we come down to a Spencer W. Kimball who says, why are we doing this? The church is growing all over the world. It's becoming more and more uncomfortable. Why are we doing this? And, pre and pretty soon Spencer W. Kimball gets a revelation and the Lord says, let's not do this. And we end a ban that was put in place almost 120 years earlier. Caitlin? I think it's very interesting if you look at the dates. Like, the ban happened, not these dates, but like three years before the Civil War started, and it wasn't lifted until after the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. And that entire time period, like, the South and the North was very much still, there was a lot of division. And if that ban had been lifted any sooner, I feel like that still would have caused major issues. Yeah, the country was not yet ready. I agree with that. That's yeah, part of my I conclusion. Don't necessarily think it, I mean, it very well could have been tradition, but like socially, you kind of have to think about it that way. Yeah. Like there are still people who probably wouldn't be okay with it. But now it's more like... You got it. It wasn't until like the 80s when people were more accepting of diverse factors. Yeah. So there's my conclusion. I wanted to throw a couple new facts out there. We were almost slaughtered in Missouri over slavery. And I think Joseph Smith, or I think Brigham Young had that in his mind. I'm not going to let Utah become a Missouri. I'm not. And I, he, I, he had a front row seat to see how hostile people get over the issue of slavery. And so Missouri was a part of this. Now, is God opposed to black men holding the priesthood? This one calls that into question. Joseph Smith had no problem. And then I don't think people realize that we brought slavery here in the very first pioneer company. Three slaves entered the Salt Lake Valley on July 24th, 1847. And now what do we do? It's here. We have to deal with it. And if we deal with it wrong, we alienate half the country out there. Now, there is no evidence as to why. That tells me it wasn't a revelation. Therefore, I have to ask myself, okay, what was Brigham Young seeing that might cause him to make this? If God is out of it, if God is saying, you guys handle this, what is Brigham Young seeing? And that's why I see Brigham Young as a hero, not a racist. I believe Brigham Young saved this very young, very vulnerable church from destruction. He found a way to be no one's enemy. And no one hated us over slavery. And we were able to grow. 
excuse me. Um, I have a lot of respect for Brigham Young because my view on it is that the lack of direct inspiration does not mean you cannot be an inspired man. Yep. Say that again. I got to have the whole world say that. <laughs> the lack of direct inspiration doesn't mean you aren't an inspired man. Yes, it doesn't appear that God made the decision, but that doesn't mean God wasn't involved in helping him make a wise decision. I love that. Right, right. and I think that, I think Brigham Young saw the writing on the wall. I think he could see the outcome of the two possible decisions in front of him. And like you said, the world and the church wasn't ready for the policy that God has, yep. that, that everyone should have priests and children should be accepted. And Brigham Young took that up as his cross to bear. He knew that his name would be drugged through the dirt for the rest of the time as the prophet that banned black people from having the priesthood. But he knew that to forward the progression of the church and to ensure the kingdom of heaven, something that needed to be done. Yeah. And he was the one to do it. I, I, stand, I stand right behind that. What was Brigham's skill? Joseph's skill was revelation, listening to God, teachable. What was Brigham's skill? Was he known as this great theologian who receives massive revelation? What was Brigham's skill? A physical builder of the kingdom. How much does the United States owe its Western movement to Brigham Young? Who founded Las Vegas? Brigham Young. <laughs> you better believe he did. He was brilliant. If you look at what his skill set was, he was the right man for the job. Now, was he inspired? I believe he handled that situation better than anyone I know would have. I truly believe he saved the church from being anyone's enemy. Now, if you read his writings, he doesn't come out and say, hey, we're going to make a compromise and we're going to do this. And so that's what tells me that he was inspired in his soul to know what to do, even though his words weren't expressing it. I will stand behind Brigham Young. I do not believe he was a racist man. I believe he saved this very vulnerable church and allowed us time to grow up. Now, are we strong enough to take on a nation who would hate us today? Yes. Were we then? Not even close. Helpful? I leave you with my testimony, and I need to be very clear that God is no respecter of persons. And that it doesn't matter what you're... I, I hope, I truly hope in the resurrection, skin color continues. I hope and pray in the resurrection, skin color continues. And I hope to walk down the streets of the celestial kingdom and still see skin color. Because what will it take to get there? What will it take to get to the celestial kingdom if we're different colors? This is something we've got to master. I know with every ounce of my soul that God is no respecter of persons. One of my favorite lines in the Book of Mormon is that during the period of peace after Jesus came, there were no ites. There were no ites. I long for that day when there's no racism, no prejudice, no feelings of I'm better than you. Do you remember when we did the law of the church? What did the Lord repeat in two successive verses? 
It is not good for one man to think he's better than another. Let me say that again. I bear you my testimony that no one is better than anyone else. I also bear you my testimony that reverse racism is just as bad. We need to be very careful not to swing the pendulum so far over here that we're in essence making the same mistake again. No one is better than anyone else. Of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.